All right. All right. Sorry. I'm being such a dumbass. Part of it. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm still Justin. And we still produce actual podcasts on this feed, so screw the so haters. we thought we'd try All right. one. <laughs> we thought we'd do one. It's been a long time. We've been coming to you through the Battle Hymnal on our mm-hmm, stream mm-hmm. for a while, but we can still do this. We're still we're still competent podcast DAs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a spring ha- chicken, I think is pod- how it's said. Yeah, podcast haberdashers right here. Podcast like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, tailors. Yeah. We will <laughs> we will take your measurements and deliver a podcast product bespoke to you with bespoke. two buttons and, you know, something that can go day to night and maybe with a notch cut and a lapel, uh, <laughs> Italian style. Anyway, um, I don't know. So today we're going to do sort of two things. We're going to talk about the UJ versus Cincinnati game. I don't know that we're going to get into it quite as deep as we normally would. A um, couple of reasons for this. One, uh, you know, it's a bowl it's game a bowl in a game. season. Bowl games never really matter, but they super don't matter this season. Um, and two, you know, we've given you a lot of really cool product, we think, on the Battle Hymnal about this, and we don't want to, like, steal our own thunder. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're going to do a little bit of review. We're going to hit some stats. We're going to talk about some things um, and do some predictions. And then we are going to do uh, like a really cool, I think, non-football subject. We are going to talk about our favorite media from this year of our Lord, 2020. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, let's get into it. So yeah, let's talk about UGA versus versus Cincinnati. Hit me with some subjective narratives there. I would love to. So, you know, we always start with what is the history of these two teams? And Cincinnati and Georgia, they really don't have a lot of history between the two of them. Uh, They've played twice in the existence of their programs over the course of the existence of their programs. Uh, Once in 1942 and another time in 1976, they split between Cincinnati and Athens each. Georgia took the win in both of those games, 35-13 in the first one and 31-17 in the second one. That was Vince Dooley's Georgia Bulldogs. And so that's a little bit of the history of them. I could go into the like the dynastic uh, statistics of both of these programs, but Georgia takes every category except for conference championships, which Cincinnati has won 15 and Georgia has won 14. Uh, so hats off to you, my Bearcats. Um, my good Bearcats, (laughs) my good Bearcats, I will say one of my, you know, the Cincinnati Bearcats have a very unique place in my heart because they are the team that I would play in NCAA 14 and like totally, uh, I would win every national championship year to year to year. And I played their season like 15 or 16 times, um, over the course of the time I was playing that game, just one, one Christmas. Uh, and so, you know, they're pretty good. They're pretty good in my eyes. <laughs> and the stats will say mm-hmm. that as well. Uh, you know, they are part of the AAC, which is the, what is, is it, the Atlantic American Conference or American Atlantic Conference? American, American Athletic Conference. Athletic Conference. I always mix it up. Uh, but yeah, they are from one of the, the lesser known uh, conferences, you know, with, with other good folks and whatnot. But um, some of the subjective narratives we're hearing out of this game, um, people are talking a lot, of course, about Munkin and Daniels and how they've changed the UGA offense for the better. And uh, all that to say that Cincinnati has taken note. And so I kind of want to ask you, what, what sort of things do you think? Um, you, you've, you've already recorded the battle hymn when you guys have been looking at plays and everything. So 
What sort of things have you seen from Cincinnati's play this season that may uh, sort of suggest that they have what it takes to take on Munkin and Daniels and the, the change UG offense? Or what do they not have and will just not have anything uh, to, to respond with? Well, yeah. So without getting too far into the stats, which I know we're going to do later, mm-hmm. um, schematically, uh, Fickle is – they run the three three five. 3 Fickle is a guy, if you look at, there's actually a really good piece on The Athletic about this from 2019, about just like when the Cincinnati got good at off or at defense. Um, they Fickle coaches a very, he, he really is focused on sound fundamental technique. They tackle very well. Um, they have this whole like five point, like very specific technique for how they defeat blocks. Um, they, they tackle to the ground a lot in practice. They thud, which is what they call when you tackle the ground in practice. Um, and you know, so they are a very fundamentally sound team. They run the three, three, five, which is like a, a defense that's specifically designed to beat the spread, which of course we've talked a lot, uh, ad nauseum on the battle hymnal about how, you know, Munkin is running a lot of air raid spread concepts. So the three, three, five matches up schematically pretty well with that. They're going to run three down linemen. They're going to run five defensive backs, even probably when you only have three or four receivers on the field. Um, a lot of their defensive backs are going to play sort of a star role when there are not as many wide receivers on the field and do run support this year's Cincinnati team. Um, like I test wise, like very rangy, lots of long dudes who can run um, very athletic. They hit what, you know, they, they play pretty fundamentally sound. Um, philosophically, they're incredibly, incredibly aggressive. Uh, they got mm-hmm. a lot of sacks, but they're also 117th in penalties uh, as a team this year. And that is uh, a lot of that comes from defensive offsides. Uh, they're a little bit chippy. I'm not saying that they're, they will pay, play through the whistle. I'm not saying that they're dirty, but they will hit people, right? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, in that sense, they match up pretty well. Um, I think the thing that is going to be a problem for them is that they run the 3 3 5, but they put their guys on an island a lot. So if they have five defensive backs, if they're in like their base dime or whatever package with five defensive backs, um, sometimes they will just keep all five on the field and put like, you know, two of them on an island and then have the, uh, the other three in run supporter as like both extra safeties, basically. Um, that I think is probably a talent mismatch for UGA. They have never tried to cover a guy like, uh, Pickens or Burton, um, that UGA can roll out at wide receiver. I got to imagine that they're not going to try to run base three through five because, um, Munkin has proven this year that he'll take what he gives you. And if you run three, three, five against him and you have five defensive backs on the field, he's just going to run it down your throat and then throw it deep when you, when he has one-on-one, um, I, that so I you know they match up well in the sense that they are a good defense. Um, you know we talked about this on the battle hymnal, but the, their metrics look really good this uh, year, and their metrics in many ways beat Georgia's. Um, and however, if we look at like the PFF grades on them, um, you know their offense is maybe a little bit of a paper tiger, but their defense is like the third ranked PFF defense in the in, mm-hmm. in the nation. So they, they they play good defense. I just don't know that they have the um, cornerback talent to match up against Georgia's. And I can't believe I'm about to say this phrase, Georgia's deep <laughs> room of wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is a wild sentence to say. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's all good and fine. Um, in a perfect world, you know, we the Georgia full strength would be playing Cincinnati full strength at this point. But it's a bowl game. It's a peach bowl. It's an important bowl. And I'm putting this all in quotes that you can't see because this is an audio medium. But uh, 
That being said, this is not a full strength Cincinnati or Georgia. There are lots of opt-outs. And, and so the bowl games are kind of what the media would like for you to think is, is it's your way of seeing what we're going to see next year, which is not entirely true. It's a bit of like a like a, an amuse-bouche. You know, it's a, it's a little tasting of what we could see next year. But the media would like for you to think that I, I sound like a boomer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the media wants you to think um, Jesus. that this is what you will see at, at the, the opening of the season against Clemson. So let's talk about some opt-outs real quick. Uh, I think that the, the, the biggest changes we'll see that are going to have the biggest effect on our game is going to be our O-line. Most notably, you know, Ben Cleveland is finally done. Uh, Trey Hill is out for surgery. Um, and and you know, obviously, most likely going to, to head to the NFL right after that. It has not been officially confirmed, but... What sort of things are we going to see uh, from our O-line, and how is that really going to affect Jake Daniels? Is he going to be a lot uh, more mobile? Is he going to be doing more? Um, is it going to be on his back, or are we going to see more of the same from from these folks that haven't necessarily started but still have the talent to start? I mean, I think offensively on the O-line, you've seen a lot of these guys who are opting out lose playing time anyway. Uh, Trey Hill has been out, right? As you said, for his surgery, he had uh, he cleaned up his knee. Um, you know, uh, Ben Cleveland opting out is a big deal. I'm not going to act like that Cleveland and Trey Hill aren't great players, but if there is a place on this team that you can take opt outs, I think it's the O line. Um, McClendon, Salyer, Schaefer. You know, Schaefer has not even had that good of a year. I mean, he's been losing playing mm-hmm. time as it is. So I I, I think we're going to be okay on the O line, and I think that you know. It's always going to be on JT Daniel's shoulders. That's just the way this offense works. That's the way modern offenses work. Um, you know, I there's some notable opt-ins, right? You're, you're losing Jermaine Johnson to transfer, but you got Aziz Ojolari. Uh, you got Jordan Daniel or Jordan uh, Jordan Davis back. So defensively, I, I feel pretty good about it. It's also, uh, this is sort of like late breaking news. One other offensive mm-hmm. opt-out, that or not opt-out, but uh, offensive player we might not have is, seems like James Cook is probably not going to be playing. We just had breaking news that he has had sort of a family tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. Seems like his dad has passed away. And of course, like our like genuine, genuine affection and thoughts and uh, prayers and good vibes to our, our small, fast boy. Um, can't imagine that he'll be playing in the face of that and like wouldn't want him to um, either. So, I mean, that that certainly affects things, but it looks like Kendall Milton is coming back. And I, and I don't mm-hmm. want to just gloss over like a horrible family tragedy. It's awful. Uh, but yeah. I also don't, you know, this is not the place to speak to that really that much other than to say that we care about him and we love him and we hope he, you know, can process this grief as well as he can. Um, but practically, uh, you're probably okay. You know, you've lost James Cook at times this year. He's a great weapon to have, but you're, whip- you're so deep in offensive weapons. You know, Kendall Milton, uh, it seems like is going to be playing in this game. Might get Kenny McIntosh back. Uh, you'll have Zeus. I think you're going to be all right. Um, I, I don't think that this is one of those opt-outs where it's like, this is a disinterested Georgia team. I don't see this being Texas-Georgia um, 2017 or 2018, mm-hmm. 2019, whatever. No, it's 2018. Um, where, you know, Georgia wishes they were in the college football playoff and just sort of kind of farts around because a lot of dudes opted out. Um, you know, obviously you're seeing Eric Stopes opt out. We've seen, you know, um, Cleveland and Hill. We know they're, they're not going to be there. But I don't – it seems like this team cares about this game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, and I, I think that just as much as you were saying Cincinnati has heard and taken note of Georgia, I think Georgia has heard a lot about how Cincinnati is the motivated power uh, group of five team that's going to upset them. Um, so I, I don't really think motivation or missing players is going to be a huge issue in this game. And while 
Now, one thing I will press back against, um, one thing you said is that this was like an amuse-bouche for 2021. Totally true. Absolutely Mm -hmm. true. Um, But I also think it's a really important game for 2021. Um, We're going to be without Stokes, you know, uh, a guy we haven't mentioned, DJ Daniel, um, next year, especially in the cornerback room. I'm really interested to see who steps up. It sounds like Stevenson. All right, so it looks like that, you know, your starters are going to be Tyson Campbell and Tyreek Stevenson. Uh, Stevenson has been playing kind of star safety for most of the year, but those guys are both really good. At the cornerback level, or, you know, at cornerback, once you get past those two, there's a lot of questions because of the opt-outs. Um, and those are questions that you're going to have going into next year as well. So I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, uh, this isn't going to be, like you said, a perfect recreation of what's happening in 2021, but there are some important positional battles happening like right now. So like, um, you know, do we see a mere speed take a step up? Do you see like, you know, a freshman take a step up that, you know, hasn't played? Uh, we haven't seen Jalen Kimber. He's a sophomore. No, he's a freshman. Jalen Kimber out of Mansfield, Texas. We haven't seen him this this year at all. Uh, but he's big. Like, he's six foot tall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Amir Speed is a guy who has been around the program for quite a long time. He's he's a junior right now. But, you know, he's 6'3", 211. He's fast. He is sort of like the prototypical Kirby Smart cornerback uh, in terms of his size. So I, I really want to see what those guys do because I think that that's going to give us an early – an early eye to a position battle that's going to really matter next year. If Georgia brings everybody back on offense this year or going into 2021, they're going to be really good on offense. And the biggest question is just going to be, what are they going to do defensively? And so I really think um, this game is going to give us a little bit of a preview for how that's going to look. Um, you know, having Jordan Davis and uh, back probably aren't going to get him back next year, but uh, mm-hmm. having him back certainly is also a bonus, but I don't know that we can rely on that for 2021, as you said. Give me give me your thoughts on uh, one of one of the other things that we talk about every single year with, you know, as we, we head into the college football playoffs this year was especially odd, you know, with the, the top four being the, you know, expected top four, but everybody got there in different ways and perhaps unexpected ways. Cincinnati is one of the two teams outside. Well, now it's one team since Coastal Carolina lost eighth ranked Cincinnati is undefeated going into this game against ninth ranked Georgia Bulldogs and there are lots of people using this as another example of how the college football playoffs need to be expanded. And also, if Cincinnati does win against the Bulldogs, that they should, uh, much like the, the I think it was 2015, 2017-ish UCF, claimed their undefeated national championship title. Uh, but what, what are your thoughts on, on that situation and, and where we go from here as a sort of football industry? Big brain, big brain. I think you have to hold two contradictory thoughts in your head when it comes to Cincinnati in the playoffs, right? Mm -hmm. It can be true at the same time that Cincinnati, if we're talking about the four most deserving teams, Cincinnati should be in the playoffs. It can also simultaneously be true that if Cincinnati had gotten into the playoffs, they would have gotten waxed by like 35 points by Clemson or Alabama because they would have. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's all right. I mean, those two things can be, that doesn't mean that Cincinnati doesn't deserve to get in. Um, I don't want to tip my hand on my prediction, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to be able to claim undefeated national title uh, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't think they're going to win because I don't think that unlike 2017 UCF, A, they don't have this dynamic of a quarterback, and B, I don't think they're going to play a disinterested um, team the way they played an Auburn team that was fresh off a loss to the uh, of, to us in the SEC championship game. Mm-hmm. So, um, I yeah, sure. I mean, on the one hand, the playoff committee has never done as poorly as they've done this year it's just god awful yeah. at ranking from top to bottom they put louisiana lafayette be- below a team they beat in iowa state they talk about game control it doesn't make sense it doesn't mean anything game control is a meaningless no. thing that they just that's made up my test yeah um yeah so like i 
on the one hand, like screw the fuck the playoff committee. Oh, there it is. Um, there's the explicit <laughs> tag. Fuck the playoff committee and everything that they say. So if you win this game, Cincinnati, yeah, claim the national title because it's all fucking meaningless because they're going to do whatever they can to put the four teams that will make the most money in the playoff. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. That's what they're going to do. I mean, there's no there's, there's no arguing that at all. And so I I'm, I'm happy for them to do that. But I think we can say that and at the same time say, you know, this team deserves to be in probably, but they are a level of talent below the teams that they would be playing at the top mm-hmm. of the, at the top of the uh, sport. And, and, you know, that sucks because that's just the way that talent works in college football, but it is mm-hmm. what it is, right? Um, if you look yeah. at the 24 seven talent composite for these two teams, um, UGA is averaging in the like 94. They're the most talented team per pal- uh, talent composite. They're averaging 94, like per like their average, rating of player on their team is like 92 93 94 something like that right and they have like i think uh per right now just i i just want to make sure that we're clear on this like in terms of um the difference between these two teams talent wise um so like per the talent composite in 2020 um uga is number one with 93.16 average per player right they have 16 five stars 51 four stars Three, uh, 18 three stars and they have 990 total points okay they're number one in the nation number one in the sec uh cincinnati by comparison uh has seven four stars 64 three stars uh and a bunch of unrated prospects their average rating per player is 84 they're second in the aac and their overall points are 600 total mm-hmm. now none of that says that cincinnati can't beat georgia but to pretend that these two teams are in the same level of talent acquisition, they're just not. And teams as talented as Cincinnati have beaten teams as talented as Georgia. It doesn't mean it can't happen. But acting like that these two teams, like Cincinnati 2020 is not Georgia 2020, and they're not even UCF 2017. I mean, they're just not. And, um, you know, I, I, I think Ritter, their quarterback, is a good player. I think he's like, if Bo Nix was good, I have this like, continuing theory on the battle hymnal that Bo Nix, if he were black would be playing tight end because he would mm-hmm. have been recruited at, uh, at quarterback if his dad wasn't an Auburn quarterback. And I think he sucks, but I, I, I think Ritter <laughs> is kind of Bo Nix. If he was good, he throws a very catchable ball. Um, but he's not, you know, he's, he's not to a, he's not Justin, he's not Trevor. He's not even JT Daniels. And so I, I, I sort of, if I had a subjective narrative that pisses me off about this, it's not, the idea that Cincinnati can beat Georgia because they can, they're very well coached. They have a lot of really good players, but the idea that like this is anything but a scrappy underdog is stupid. Now they have played a hell of a year and they have beaten everyone on their schedule and they toughed it out against Tulsa in the AAC championship through a lot of penalties and bad weather. And they played like a champion there and like, and, and I, I props to them, but mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know that these two teams are really close in terms of like, Georgia is going to have dudes that only start on special teams in this game who would start and play every snap against Florida or, or, or if they were on Cincinnati rather who only ever get snaps as like punk gunners, right? Nate mm-hmm. McBride is like the human victory cigar of our defense. And he would start <laughs> on Cincinnati's defense. I guarantee you. Right. I'm, you know, like Prather Hudson would probably get playing time on Cincinnati. Now, again, that doesn't mean Cincinnati can't win, but like, I, I really, it pisses me off the idea that like these two teams there's like this, there's this like stupid recidivist, like backwards sports fan take on this that like Cincinnati can't run with the big boys. And that's stupid. And like, it's not like UGA is guaranteed to blow them out or anyway. 
But it's also equally stupid to just go against that and be like, well, Cincinnati's actually really good and, you know, they, 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 they should beat UGA handily. Like, that's not what this is. Sorry. That's my rant of the day. <laughs> um, I like I, it. I, I, like I got it. it out of my system. It's okay. You got to get there somehow. Um, before we hop right into stats worth highlighting, I want to take just a moment to explain something that I have found that is now uh, my favorite thing in the world. It is the, I, I was curious about the Bearcat. What the hell is a Bearcat? And I, I learned a little bit about the history of the Cincinnati Bearcat and where it came from. And then I learned what a Bearcat actually is, which is a, a, it's a fun sort of origin of, of these two things that kind of happened. But um, the University of Cincinnati Bearcats were born um, in 1914, they began being called the Bearcats uh, shortly after this, but they were playing in a game against the University of Kentucky Wildcats, um, and a player named Bear, B-A-E-H-R, uh, was the fullback, and uh, quite a good fullback indeed. Um, and as he was you know, running the ball and, and playing well and everything, the, the crowd started chanting, they may be Wildcats, but we have a Bearcat on our side. Um, and the crowd eventually started uh, chanting, come on, Bearcat, which after that game, a cartoonist um, in the student newspaper drew a kind of um, goofy looking mixture between a bear and a cat that <laughs> just said Cincinnati Bearcats with the little speech bubble saying, grr. Um, and soon after, they, they started calling themselves the Cincinnati Bearcats. Um, but grr. they do, grr, that's right. They do have a live mascot named Lucille. And a bear cat is actually this like wild, I don't even know what I would relate it to, but it looks a bit like a red panda, I guess. A red panda, but it's all brown. Um, it has like almost like a, like a marsupial looking face. They, they come originally from Southern and Southeast Asia. Uh, it looks like a, some sort of uh, marsupial or small bear that would climb around and live in the trees, which it most likely does, but I'm not positive. But uh, it's the, the, the native name for them is binturongs. Yes, that's my they're favorite a, part about the bear they're, cat. <laughs> they're actually they're herbivores too. Mm, oh, they're they're pretty adorable and kind of looks like a like a mongoose or a small red panda. Um, but she is fantastic. They are endangered. They her name is Lucille, and she was just announced the uh, mascot this past year. And before that, for ten years, there was a a bear cat named Lucy. So there's your 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 bear cat binturong talk here's my for my today. favorite thing about that story is that what that makes me think is that they came up with this name and then went and found an animal that matched it they weren't yes. like our defense is as ferocious as a tiger we know what a tiger is they just said the word bear cat and they were like sure do hope that's a real animal right like <laughs> we got to find one now yeah that's kind of now i want to look up the etymology of of how the binturong became the bear cat but that's for another time so Let's talk about some stats worth highlighting. So, you know, something something that kind of is permeating throughout all of these subjective narratives for me is the the strength of schedule for both of these teams. You know, the argument against uh, G5 programs is that uh, they're not, they don't play the same people, they don't have the same talent, et cetera, et cetera. And the stats mostly show that, you know, the, the strength of schedule for these two teams, if I'm looking across for Georgia and Cincinnati, um, Georgia's you know, football power index right now, their FPI is fourth and Cincinnati is a 16th to their credit, which is adjusted for these sorts of things. Uh, but the strength of schedule for Georgia this past season has been 10th in the league, whereas Cincinnati's has been 84th. So just below average. Um, they have been playing a lot of really great teams, but the, the thing is they're not playing the SEC is, is what it came down to. Um, the efficiencies for these teams uh, across the board, we've got 
Georgia um, overall is fifth. Um, their offense is ranked 13th. Uh, their defense is ranked 13th. And their special teams are ranked 19th. And for Cincinnati, they are overall 13th. Their offense is 25th. Defense is 12th. And uh, their special teams is 44th. So um, how can we sort of, um, I guess, make peace with these numbers, Nathan, uh, as far as the strength of schedule goes and also uh, just the efficiencies? Well, yeah. So it's tough, right? Because on efficiency and even on um, advanced metric, right? This is the Cincinnati team is really good. And, and uh, honestly, advanced metrics probably would tell you if you just mm-hmm. took advanced metrics, they would tell you like by EPA and by uh, yards per play. It's like Cincinnati is better than, than UGA at a lot of these metrics, right? Like number mm-hmm. one EPA defense in the nation, right? Um, number 12 EPA offense, the fourth most explosive team offensively in the nation. Um, the 11th in yards per play, you know, um, so, you know, very rush explosive, but like, I think when you have a team like this, where you say like, okay, the efficiencies look good, the metrics look good, but the string schedule doesn't look good. That's when you need to look at like, you know, the, the individual play rating services. I think PFF college is not perfect, but I think they do a pretty good job on a play by play basis. And if you look Mm -hmm. at what PFF has, like, uh, Cincinnati is the third ranked defense per PFF, UJ is fifth. Uh, but on offense, UJ is in the 30s and Cincinnati is in the 80s or the 90s, right? Um, I, I think Cincinnati has probably feasted on some poor competition. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one of the one of the things that we talked about in, you know, I, I think that to answer how do you reckon these two things, I think you have to look past um, just what you have to look past just what are in the metrics and the efficiencies and looking into more, some more specific stats. Um, a play that I really like is, or, or a stat I really like for this is uh, air yards. So if you look at Desmond Ritter, um, he he's their their quarterback. He has thrown for 2,000, uh, 2,090 yards this year, but he's only thrown for 99 air yards or 995 air yards. So 47% of his yards gained were through the air. Right. So 53% of his yards games were after the catch. Uh, you know, by comparison, JT Daniels, 839 yards, 560 of which are air yards. So he has uh, 66% of his yards are through the air. So Ritter is a guy who's completing got completing underneath consistently, completing on, you know, intermediate wheel routes and tight end drags. Their tight end is their most used um, offensive player this year. He only has about 400 yards, but he's definitely their biggest red zone threat. And Ritter can run, right? But, you know, he through the air he's only he has 12.6 yards per completion um he loves dump offs and you know uga even uga for the year even with the bevy of quarterbacks that we played has averaged 13.6 yards per completion right so the, he the, a lot of their explosiveness i think is probably um sort of soft in terms of its yards after the catch against teams that are they outman in terms of skill talent mm-hmm. um versus de- their defensive backs but i i just I think the way you look at it is you got to look into the individual situational stats, right? So like uh, offensively, I I think the real weakness of this team is their offense. I think their defense is legit and I think their defense plays really well and they got some talent, but I I think offensively, like, you know, they're four, they're 12th in explosiveness. uh, They're, they're 12th in EPA, fourth in explosiveness offensively, but they, uh, they're, their rush success rate is 77th. Um, Their rush explosiveness is third, right? So they, they're, they're, they're hitting some big runs, um, if you look at their pass, their pass CPA is 15th, but their pass explosiveness is 57th, right? Their points per opportunity is 13th. So, like, they're scoring points when they get in the red zone. They're hitting underneath routes consistently, and they have a really good explosive run threat in their quarterback, who is, like, 
Um, a long strider. J- Ritter is a long strider. He's got kind of Bo Nix syndrome where he doesn't look like he's moving very fast. Uh, he probably has better short area quickness than Bo Nix. He's real. He's kind of he can scamper, but he doesn't really look like he's that fast because he's got like he's like just a massive dude. He's running around out there. He's got the old ATAT syndrome where like it looks like the ATATs <laughs> are far away on Hoth, but then they get there really fast because they're taking quarter mile steps or whatever. Um, so I. I don't know, man. I think their defense is for real. I think their defense deserves all of its plaudits, but I, I, this offense does not super impress me. They run the wheel route efficiently. I guess that's the scariest Uh-oh. thing about them. Yeah, they've scored two touchdowns on the wheel route. Their lo- their biggest uh, pass play to the year uh, to date this year is on the wheel route. So it's our quick I, night. I, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think <laughs> there there is a point where you cannot you. We always want to be uh, avoid being like dumb SEC network guy, right? We don't want yeah, to be a dude yeah, yeah. calling into Paul Feinbaum. And the dumb Paul Feinbaum caller is like, oh, since he can't hang, they're not a power five team. And I don't think that's true. But I think you can't overcorrect on that and say that like since he is on the same level as Georgia because they're not. And, he, and metrically, they are. They, they played a very efficient year. But I, I just don't see... This is one of the few games where on net EPA, EPA is uh, estimated points added per play, right? And if your net EPA is how many points you've added uh, across every play on offense um, minus every, how many points you've given up against every play on defense, right? So since he's net EPA is about is somewhere around two, UGA is around one. And uh, I think in net EPA in bowl season this year so far is 10 and two predicting the winner. Um, I think this is probably another time where net EPA is probably a little bit uh deceptive because uh these two teams have not played the same kind of schedule like i mean uga has two losses how many losses does Cincy have against uga's schedule mm, it's tough to say probably uh you know it's sort of the short short uh football what, so. <laughs> but what I, I, but what i'm saying is they definitely lose to alabama yes by yeah. a lot probably more than jort uga did they probably lose to florida right mm-hmm. uh they match up a little better against florida than than georgia did but still they got a half decent chance of losing to Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, since he, I'm not saying they would have gone like 500 with with this schedule, but I, I, you know, I mean, like a, a team like Auburn that you that that uh, UGA handled because they had the defensive line to just like you know take their put their offensive line to the wood chipper. I don't think since he can do that. Right, a team like Tennessee that UGA just like made a bunch of defensive plays about and, uh, against and put the put the game away. I don't know if Cincy can do that. So it's like, yeah, I, I, the I think I I mean I don't want to tip my hand, but I guess we're kind of getting here anyway. Like, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. Like, I think UGA is going to win this game pretty comfortably, actually. Mm-hmm. So hit me with some predictions then. What do you kind of see coming out of this game? Um, I think this game is close going into half. I think this might be like. 24 17 at the half i think since he will spend some amount of time winning during the first half i think they'll be ahead during the first half at some point they might mm-hmm. even be out at the halftime but i think this is a game where there's a couple of a confluence of events one i think since he is going to get chippy i expect there to be at least one scrum on the field i would be shocked if there was not some kind of fight some jawing <laughs> i expect i expect since he to hit jt daniels late if not in a dirty way just like going out of bounds or maybe a step late on a throw. I think they're going to do that. And I think it's going to piss Georgia off. Um, I think Georgia is going to go down, da- go into halftime, either down a little bit or up a little bit. The game's going to be close and Kirby smart is going to get super pissed off and yell at a bunch of people and make some adjustments. <laughs> and I, I really think that you, this defense can solve Cincinnati's offense. Um, yeah. If I think the biggest comparison to me is probably the Auburn game. Um, what we saw in the Auburn game was that UGA figured out 
Auburn can't block us when we rush four because their offensive linemen are too slow. Mm-hmm. I there's not a world in which I think Cincinnati's offensive line is better than Auburn's. And if UGA can solve you like that, and I mean like like the way you solve chess as a computer, if UGA can solve you and say, here's a thing you can't do when we do X, they'll win. Right? UGA couldn't solve Alabama. They couldn't solve Florida. They couldn't figure out the wheel route. They couldn't figure out the underneath jump offs. But if they solve you, if, if Kirby Smart figures out, hey, if we just rush Aziz Ojolari, uh, Aziz Ojolari uh, Davis, and then like one other defensive lineman, we're going to get pressure, they're going to win. Yeah. I and mean, that's what it is. And so I, I really think this is a game where you come out of the third quarter, uh, you come into the third quarter and UGA, you know, uh, coaches uh, talk about like the middle eight, right? Last four minutes of the second, the first four minutes of the third. I think UGA is going to win the middle eight and I think they're going to win the third quarter. I could really, I, I think UGA could legitimately put 21 up in the third quarter because I think um, Ritter has enough talent to keep it close for a while. And I think once they figure out Ritter, and they figure out what they want to do in the front seven, um, the game's probably going to be over. Because yeah. I, I just come back to, you know, Cincinnati has probably covered one wide receiver as dangerous as George Pickens mm-hmm. uh, this year. You know, they played SMU, they played UCF, right? They played some good teams. They played a, a bad Memphis team, but, you know. Yeah, um, but Memphis, yeah. But Memphis, right. And But I don't think that they've ever played a wide receiver core that has Kiaris Jackson, Jermaine Burton, George Pickens, uh, Arian, I mean, Arian Smith, I mean, just like it, it, UJ's wide receiver core, Darnell Washington. I mean, I know they haven't played anyone like Darnell Washington. They probably haven't played anyone <laughs> like Trey McKitty. I think Trey McKitty's sitting out there. Uh, they haven't played anybody. I mean, they, have, they haven't even played anybody like John Fitzpatrick, man. And so mm-hmm. like, I just think that the, the, the wide receiver, uh, there's such a mismatch in the past game, just in terms of talent face that I, I think if UGA figures out Cincinnati's offense, it's going to take a while to get UJ's offense going and they play good defense. So they'll have some good series against us and we might turn the ball over and then maybe you get some cheap points or whatever. But like, I think UJ probably runs away with this in the second half. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the like sort of poorly kept two poorly kept secrets about Cincinnati is that their special teams haven't been anything to write home about. And they have had a lot of penalties. Um, UJ is just average in penalties. Cincinnati cannot afford to give up a bunch of penalties and a turnover on special teams or something to UGA. Cause if they do, they're going to lose by like 20. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I, I just think it's a pretty comfortable win. This feels like 42 21 to me. Yeah. Yeah. That seems about right to me. I mean, I've kind of gone back and forth on trying to imagine what this game looks like because I, I, I can see a world in which this is a great Jermaine Burton game just because that JT Daniels, Jermaine Burton connection is really awesome. Uh, but I imagine that's something that Cincinnati will be looking for. Um, and if they, they put too many eggs into that basket, the Burton basket, so to speak, uh, then we're going to get some some bombs in, I think. And if we don't get any bombs in, then we're going to try to get the the, the run game started. Uh, and it, it, it's we have too many pieces on this offense to not get something started. I think at the very beginning we'll see some sort of uh, you know conservative play calling where um, we're just trying to make everything click because there are going to be some some different starters, or some people in different positions that they've they definitely practiced for, but in a, a game time environment are, are not as well practiced as the people we've become accustomed to. And we're going to see some pressure from, uh, from, you know, this, this defense, this very good Cincinnati Bearcat defense, um, putting pressure on JT Daniels, uh, trying to make him make mistakes. And if that gets to be too much, I'm sure we will, we'll, we'll get something started either in the run game or um, underneath with Bert- Burton or uh, our, our deep set of tight ends. So, 
Uh, I don't see a world in which our offense is completely shut down. I do see a world in which we make some mistakes and we come back for them because this Bearcat team is, is a little hot-headed and that's how they get to the, the to be one of the, the most penalty-heavy teams in the league. So um, I, I'm right there with you in thinking this is not a game that um, we will see Cincinnati run away with. I think they'll be. it's going to be a good game. It's going to be one of the best games, I think, that we still have yet to see this bowl season. The only other one I'm excited about is probably the Texas A&M and North Carolina game uh, that I think will be a good game to watch. But I, I'm right there with you in thinking this is probably a 40, 42-21 game or um, maybe even like a 48-28, 48-31, something, something like that. Like Cincinnati will get some points, but I don't think it'll be anything to necessarily write home about. Yeah. That's where I met with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that, but I just think, you know, the number, we have like a few like sort of heuristics that we live by when we're trying to predict mm-hmm. games, right? Number one, trust the stats. Number two, yeah. talent wins. And the problem is that those two heuristics are at odds, right? The stats would tell you that maybe since he could keep this game close, the talent says that they couldn't. So you're right. It's probably somewhere in between. Yeah, I think they'll get points, but they're not at any point going to be knocking on the door of, of you know, running this game by any means. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So so the rest of the episode, we, we've replaced our um, Ask CBC section with a bit of uh, our favorite media from this year because, you know, we are media is what we are. Um, and so, you know, this year sucked and we're not going to get into the, the details of that because um, you've all lived <laughs> it too. So, <laughs> but yeah, we do want to say, see... if you don't know why at this point, don't know what to say to you. Um, yeah, so so we just wanted to kind of share some things, some bright spots in our year. We we still enjoyed things this year. There was uh, plenty to enjoy, um, and I I want to just kind of end on a high note, so to speak. Uh, just some things that brought us joy in an otherwise dark times. So we're going to just kind of share some things that we really loved, and hopefully, you know, since you're here and listening to this, maybe it's something you really love too, and you might not know yet. So um, we'll try to give you the less obvious, I think. Um, media things that happened this year so we're not going to be like man tiger king am i right uh because we all know the tiger king was a super wild thing that we all experience um most of us experience i'm sure so or at least know enough about to say yeah that was super wild so um uh, can i can i can i add one little thing like yeah. to me at least this is not necessarily just stuff that came out in 2020 mm-hmm. this is also stuff we just enjoyed so some of this yes. stuff is not super new yeah, some absolutely. Mine is the same. Like I, some of this stuff is not brand new for this year. Some of it's just things that I got around to this year, or things that have always brought me joy and have continued to bring me joy in 2020. So, so okay. let's let's start let's start with our games. So, what were your best games of the year, or things that you just played a lot that you liked? Yeah, my some of my favorite games of the year, the things that I enjoyed the most that happened to be video games. Um, number one would be Persona Five. You know, the Persona series is a uh, JRPG, Japanese RPG, um, sort of visual novel-esque video game series about, uh, it's very, it's very cerebral, very much um, like Jungian philosophy, um, all about this group of teenagers that have been tasked with saving the world. You know, it's, it's very much in that trope of, you know, you come into your powers and the first levels are beat this kitty cat and by the end of the game you're you're fighting god in heaven or whatever stuff like that but it is a game that i put 110 hours in over the year i started this year and finished it 110 hours later and i just absolutely loved it i fell in love with the characters um the characters are fantastic the storytelling is fantastic i know persona is near and dear to both nathan and um 
Nathan's uh, work spouse, Peter, especially Peter. And that's how I kind of got into it. I played Persona 3 last year and um, I liked it. I was like, this is good. Uh, but Persona 5 really had me fall in love with the series. And so that was that was my first game of the, the year that I really enjoyed. I have a lot of games on here. Um, mm-hmm. I really love, I played a lot at the beginning of the year of this game, Elite Dangerous, which yes. is like a uh, spaceship sim game where you were like traveling around the galaxy in a spaceship. And um, I really was just struck by the sort of scope of it. Like the game's been around for like four or five years and not every system that in the universe has been discovered yet. Like you can just take your ship out to the edges of the universe and discover a new thing, or you can mine or you can help pirates or you, there's just all sorts of wild shit to do in this game. And um, it is, I think a really good Testament to sort of like, the scope of imagination that games can have and like how when a good game company sets up like a generative system that like lets players explore good content that like interesting fun things could happen Mm -hmm. Um, there's all sorts of like squadrons in this game and there's there's you know people who will track you down if you're running a bunch of if you're running diamonds across the country or across the galaxy you have to watch for pirates that are humans that will like interdict you and kill you um you know, and like there's like most wanted lists generated by the community of people who have stolen the most cargo and stuff. Like it's it's a, just a really fun generative time. Here, you hit me with one. So another game that I really love is Disco Elysium. So I played a lot of single player games this year. Uh, Disco Elysium was released a couple years ago, I believe, but um, it is another. It's it's truly a visual novel. Um, you are the only actual action you do in the world is is communicating through dialogue with other characters. But it's kind of based in this world that's like a sort of post apocalyptic, um, post rebellion, uh, Eastern European and or Russian kind of uh, environment. And you play a police officer who he's a detective um, on a murder unit who you know has completely lost his memory and he is going through a lot. Uh, and so um, he it, it deals with substance abuse, it deals with addiction, it deals with mental illness, and it, it is a sort of uh, narrative that um, coexists with those ideas in mind. And it does a really, really great job, I feel, of um, building empathy on those things whilst telling a really good story that isn't necessarily about those things. But it wouldn't exist without those elements um, included. Those are those those pieces are super important to the story and um, his character development as well. So uh, it is an incredible game. Um, it is replayable, um, very much so. Uh, you can go through it. Every decision you make is is different, and it, it affects the outcome. Like by the end of the story, one of my favorite functions of the game was that you, as you're role playing this character, you decide who they are, and. Uh, he has these thoughts that kind of, um, instead of just a a typical traditional skill tree, you internalize thoughts that continue to change your character over the game. And by the end of my first playthrough, I only had about 25% of all the internal thoughts even unlocked to be able to choose just because of the choices I had made throughout the course of the game. And so next playthrough, I can be a completely different person and all of those internalized thoughts, they will uh, affect my character and his stats next time around. So Super neat game, super weird game. Um, definitely a game I went into knowing nothing about other than the the visual novel aspect of it. And uh, absolutely loved it. I will be playing it again, and more content is coming out for it later in 2021. So super pumped. What's another game for you? Um, I'll do sort of like two games that were very yeah. popular this year. That I, A lot of times, like, I don't catch popular games because I'm uh, a doofus. Um, 
uh, and a, a cranky old man, but there were two very popular games this year that I thought actually lived up to their their hype. One is Among Us. It's a good game. It's um, a great game. A yeah. lot of fourteen year olds play it, and it's sort of memey at this point that everyone plays Among Us. It's like the most commonly played game on my kids' phones at school. Um, but I, it, it's good. I mean, it, it's a, it's just a rock solid game that just works. And um, it's hard for me to really like say anything else about it. Like it's just very good. Um, another one is Apex uh, Legends. Mm-hmm. I I kind of hate um, <laughs> I kind of hate battle royale games. I think they're bad. I think it's a bad idea for a game. Um, and I like Apex Legends. It's fun. Um, it is the first FPS battle royale I've played where the shooter part of it is actually good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's my fun. biggest problem with Fortnite. I think my biggest problem with Fortnite is that Fortnite's really not an FPS. It's a, it's like a collection and building simulator where you occasionally shoot people, mm-hmm. um, and I I don't like that because you spend thirty minutes collecting stuff and then you die in thirty seconds. And the thing mm-hmm. about Apex Legends is it's so fast paced. It's based on the um, the Titanfall uh, FPS engine, so the shooting is just so like the shooting feels really good in it. Um, it's just like the movement system is great. I highly recommend it. I think both mm-hmm. of those games actually lived up to their hype and they're actually as good as these. You have a few more video games that you can share real quick while we're here. And they're, they're both, well, one more, two more that we, we both played together. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> one is satisfactory. Ethics. Yeah. One is satisfactory and among us, we played among us together last night. So mm-hmm. one is satisfactory. Satisfactory is still in uh, early access. It is a game about making, uh, being stranded on an uh, alien planet and making a factory to like make yourself a way off of the planet. Um, it's, it's a genius, um, example of just like system building. Um, the system of the game is so rock solid that there's not really a lot of content or any kind of story in it. And it's just fun to play. If you like organization, if you like logistics, if you like building things in games, it, it scratches that itch probably more like, I don't know, just more viscerally scratches the like, let me build something itch than anything I've ever played. Um, mm-hmm. And it is a game that you can just play for hours and hours and hours. And if you play it with your friends and you're on like a discord chat, um, it's just so fun to play together. It has a good co-op mode. Um, another one um, is animal crossing new horizons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this was sort of the game of the early. Um, if you were following gaming and you were in the quarantine in March, this was the game to play. Uh, it is one of the few games that my wife and I have played together ever. She she likes games, but a lot of times just we play separately. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just fun. It was I, I to full 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 disclosure have never really gotten into the Animal Crossing games, mm. not because I hate them, but just because that you know you just miss things as a kid because like no one buys you something and then you don't. Um, you, you know, like I had no access to them because no one ever bought them and bought me anything. And I was more of a compu- uh, PC player, but I love uh, AC and H. I think it's, uh, it was the perfect game for its time. And it still is like just having a place where people are just happy and um, the, you know, everything sort of runs on the system of just being nice to each other and being friendly. And it is a game it is sort of the nega Dark Souls in many ways. It is a game that is intentionally not punishing. The, the design of the game is to not punish you for any action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's cool. It's cool. I, I mean, I like the Dark Souls games, but I think the other way is cool too. I think it's cool to have a game where, you know, it's just about making a pretty island and making friends with people. Yep. And I, I, I will live, I ride and die with my villagers. Shout out to Kitty. Um, and 
Audie, <laughs> who Audie, who is an amazing villager. Um, and I would, and every time they ask if they want to leave, I always say no because I love them all so much. Uh, it's a great game. <laughs> Wolfgang, Puck, and Al, baby. Those are my boys. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Audie and Kitty. And then we also have uh, Lucky, who is the the dog in a body cast or who's like a oh, mummy. No. He's very, he's very sweet. He's, he's a little trash boy. Like he talks to the bugs in his house. I love, love him that. too. Uh, um, other, well, so game adjacent, these'll be more, um, th- this is sort of podcasts and also board games for me, uh, because I listen to some RPG podcasts and board games as well. So, um, but before I, I dive straight into pure podcasts, this is kind of the bridge between the two is our, uh, curse of Strahd game. So Nathan and I on Wednesday or Thursday nights will uh, every week play with a group of friends. Uh, we'll play Dungeons and Dragons virtually with um, our friends. And the, the the module we're playing right now is called The Curse of Strahd. And uh, I have loved virtual games this year. You know, it used to be really stressful meeting um, to play in person sometimes because life gets in the way or something happens and there's travel involved and we all have social anxiety. (laughs) And so it's just been really nice to, no, (laughs) we have, my wife and I have social anxiety and, uh, and people have admitted in this group to also having social anxiety, I will say, but I will not put any labels on anybody, but it has been really nice to be able to like eat dinner at home, hop on, play together, laugh together and, uh, know that it's going to happen again next week. So that has been really fun. Um, Pure podcasts. My my first podcast I'll say is um, the the D twenty uh, Dimension Twenty podcast. Uh, they've been doing a an RPG uh, called Unsleeping City, and Unsleeping City is just absolutely beautiful. It's like a magical realism uh, New York City landscape with all these very real characters in New York City, and they are kind of playing with this invisible world that lives sort of adjacent to uh, real life and they're keeping the city very safe, but they're on YouTube. They're on um, where you get your podcasts, wherever, but Brendan Lee Mulligan is the the GM of these games. And he is the most brilliant GM. I think I've ever witnessed do his job. Um, and I have absolutely loved this one. I loved him in fantasy high and I loved all the characters and actors in fantasy high, but unsleeping city is just far and away my favorite campaign I've ever listened to on a podcast. Uh, well, I want to, I want to shout out a couple of things. One, um, the, uh, world darkness games. I had a long-term werewolf game that we played through a lot of 2020 that sort of, I will say is on hiatus because I want it to come back and I love it so much. And I love <laughs> my wolf pack. Um, the world of darkness games are such a, just such a vivid, like dark, uh, modern fantasy setting um they are sort of the er modern fantasy setting a lot of the stuff that you know that's modern fantasy has a lot of elements pulled from the world of darkness games which have been around since the 80s um i also want to point out uh colony salem which is the uh, yes. book that we've been writing for two or three years that my friend peter and i just finished the kickstarter for and is coming out in april so played that a lot in 2020 uh in terms of podcasts i only have two um shut down full cast long time this is a longtime friend of the show, uh, Spencer Hall's podcast, by which I mean he was on our show <laughs> once, but we're going to say friend of the show. Um, just uh, if you like college football, you should be listening to Shutdown Fullcast. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I only have two college football podcasts I recommend to people, and neither of them are mine. Um, one is Shutdown Fullcast because if you like college football at all, it just does such a great job of capturing the sort of insanity of everything. And it gives college football the right amount of seriousness, which is none at all. Um, and it is sort of like, I think the spiritual predecessor to the show in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to everything we do. The other one is Split Zone Duo, which is uh, Moon Crew. It's associated with Shutdown Volcast. Um, Split Zone Duo, and, and I say this as someone who produces a college football podcast, it's the best college football podcast that is currently producing content. It's I mean, the only it college football podca- podcast. Well, that's what <laughs> Shutdown Volcast <laughs> That's what they say. Split Zone, yeah. If you want a serious news podcast about college football that doesn't do Paul Feinbaum doesn't do Kirk Herbstreet, who is a huge misogynist piece of shit. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I hope he gets better soon from COVID, but he's still a misogynist piece of shit. Um, and he also cost us a national championship in 2007. So whatever. Um, but if you want college football news that takes college football's inanity with the right amount of like makes fun of college football, but still is two dudes who are super plugged in, a really good observer of college football. It's uh, Richard Johnson, um, Stephen Godfrey, and uh, Alex Kirshner. Three just really excellent football minds who know a lot about college football, know the people. And it's also one of the few places where you can get real actual, like, juicy gossip scoop about college football, about, like, what coaches are saying. Um, It's good. I I, I really do. Like, every time it comes out, it is the first thing I listen to. Um, Mm -hmm. If you have, if you like college football and you want college football news at all, you should be listening to Split Zone Duo. It is the best thing out there. And, and, like, there have been a number of times where I say, on this podcast, like as Richard Johnson said, and it's because I just listen to split zone duo. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not more informed than anyone else. I'm just listening to a better podcast. Um, <laughs> all right. You want to do some, uh, what, where do you want to go? P- books, TV, movies, music. I'll mention uh, one more podcast and let's move into books. So my, okay. a, a podcast that I discovered this year, that's been around for a couple years. Uh, and I, fe- I, I've seen a lot of other people are also discovering it is the you're wrong about podcast. And it's done by, uh, two writers, uh, Michael Hobbs and Sarah Marshall. And they are absolutely incredible. Um, they are both my heroes at this point. Um, but it's it's basically a research podcast where they go back and they they talk about. Um, it originally began as like a sort of a show to discuss ways that the the media at large uh, misconstrued certain cultural moments, um, and rediscusses them and and explains why we got it wrong and why we still remember it wrong um even to this day because of what we were we were told essentially and what we were told was going on and how it was perceived and a lot of it is um most recently they've said it's kind of become a podcast of uh misaligned women of the 90s and of our past um and i like that about it like they they kind of discuss the one i'm listening to right now for instance is about tanya harding and um how the media just kind of uh you know the, the misogynistic patriarchy discussed how she was a certain way when in fact she wasn't and so i won't get too deep into it but um i am almost finished with the entire back catalog and i'm upset about it but i i will talk to anybody about it that wants to talk about it it is a fantastic podcast yeah i can't suggest you're, it enough. you're wrong about is excellent it's the only podcast my wife listens to <clears throat> really regularity yeah she doesn't listen she doesn't like uh, i i think she has a hard time She's not like really an auditory learner. Like if mm-hmm. she's doing something else, she can't just listen to a podcast or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know what the term for that is. She could probably tell me. But like, <laughs> uh, you're wrong about is the one podcast she will listen to. I um, love it so much. Um, all right, let's talk yeah. about books. Oh yeah. boy. Oh boy. I read a lot of books this year, so I, <laughs> I've tried to narrow it down. Um, do you here? You give me one because I have three or four, and I'm going to try to limit myself to three or four. Okay. Um, I I do read a lot of kids' books because of my job. Uh, books intended for children is the the correct term I would say, but um, one that I really loved that I that I just could not suggest enough is the Nevermore series. It is 
very similar to the Harry Potter series in the sense of that it's about a kid that is uh, cursed, is actually, she's a cursed child named uh, Morgan Crow, and she discovers that she's in fact not cursed, it's just what society has labeled her as. And so she discovers um, on her, I believe, 11th birthday, much like Harry Potter, that there is a secret world that she's unaware of, and she is whisked away to discover her true um, her talents and begin discovering herself and growing. But it is very much a series where um, that that you know age old trope of discovering oneself and and growing and everything is definitely present. But the part about this series that I really love the most is its inclusivity and not you know it it it's inclusive while not like virtue signaling. It's just it just is, um, and it, it tell the way it describes new characters and and, and everything is is very um, fun and evocative, and I, I really enjoy the characters. My favorite character is Jupiter North, of course, which is the um, the sort of advisor to Morgan Crow. He uh, everybody has to select; they choose a child essentially to um, to advise, and so he is choosing a a patron for the very first time in Morgan. And, so, and he is kind of like the poster child for a lot of different uh, um, groups in Nevermore, which is the world that the book series takes place in. And uh, so people, you know, watch his career with with great interest, so to speak, and therefore also watch Morgan with great interest. Um, so I can't suggest it enough. I think it is, and it's no longer a hot take for me. This is my true, um, actual belief that it is better than Harry Potter. Um, it is better written than Harry Potter. It is a better story it than Harry Potter. It wasn't written by a transphobe. Yes, it is not written by a turf. Um, it, there's only three books at this point, and there's going to probably be, uh, the author says nine. Um, author's name is Jessica Townsend, and she is brilliant, and the series is brilliant, and the world is brilliant as well. And go read it. It's a lot of fun. Hit me with a book. Oh, boy. Um, okay, so first is Deadly Education by Naomi Novik. Um, I am on the record as saying I think Naomi Novik is one of the better fantasy writers who's producing content right now. Um, she's excellent. Every book she's written is so good. She doesn't write. She hasn't written any series. Well, she has written one big series about dragons and the Napoleonic War. The Tremere series is very good. But she has three one-off books, Spinning Silver, Uprooted, and Deadly Education, which is going to be the start of another series. Um, Deadly Education is a magical academy story. Um, with like high school to college age kids. Uh, it is the darkest magical Academy story you will ever read. It is about a school where um, you are teleported in to, it is like a series. The school is made up of a series of ever changing floors and each year, every floor descends one and you get teleported into the top of it. And at the bottom of it is a giant room filled with monsters that want to kill you. And to graduate, <laughs> you have to get out when your floor uh, like on graduation day drops down one. Um, and it's just about the first year of this girl's education. It has an amazing sort of semi romance between the protagonist viewpoint character who is this like misanthropic death mage. And this like, it's basically like if uh, Hermione was a death mage and hated Harry Potter uh, <laughs> because, because he kept saving her life. Right. He's like like the guy who she ends up sort of like in this like will they won't they romance with is this guy who keeps saving everyone's lives and is like the, the goody goody guy. And all she can do is destroy people with her magic. It's it's an amazing story. Um, highly recommended. The other one I recommend in the eighth one in this series came out this year. This is the series that like every time I talk to English people, I tell them to read it and no one. Not many people have read it, and it's well worth your time. It's called Cradle. There's eight books in it. It is like 
science fiction kung fu fantasy um is the only way i can describe it it is <laughs> i i like i genuinely think it is the next it is a series that in like 10 years is going to get a tv show and everyone's going to be like oh this series is so wild it's going to have the game of thrones treatment i think where everyone discovers it 10 years after it came out um it is uh, it is legitimately i think the best self-published book it, they were originally self-published they're by this guy named will Wright. i i cannot say enough about how good they are it is a there it's it's not really a YA book, but it's like appropriate for all ages. Uh, you know, there's some violence in it, but it is just the wildest story you will ever read. It starts with this guy who was born into a uh, a clan of people and he's the only, he's unsold. Like he doesn't have like magic Kung Fu powers and everyone else does. And it is his journey. And it goes from one little like Chinese uh, fantasy style valley to being this like science like far future science fiction story about like saving the universe against chaos. Like that is the <laughs> scope of it. It is, it is just, I cannot recommend it enough. They're so easy to read, read that book cradle by real right. Um, <laughs> the persona treatment fight kittens and eventually fight God. Yeah, no, I mean, it is like at the end of every book, you're like, Oh, now the main character is powerful. And then he goes outside of the circle that he's in. And it's like, actually, no, he's at the bottom of the rung. And this <laughs> happens for eight books. Right. So like by the eighth book, the main character can like, you know, knock down mountains, but he's pretty weak by the comparison to everybody he's around. And so it's, it's a really, if you like Dragon Ball Z, if you like Naruto, if you like, oh, uh, what's that uh, one, uh, one piece. Mm -hmm. um, if you like any of the like sort of um, Esikai or uh, shoot, what's the Naruto? What kind of anime is Naruto? Uh, I just call it Ninja. <laughs> Uh, no, but this, this, there's a specific shonen. If you like any shonen anime, oh, okay. Bleach, Naruto, One Piece, One Piece. Uh, even if you like like uh, My Hero Academia, this just this like power up progression. It does that really well, but with no padding. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just like everyone in the story progressively gets more and more powerful, and the stakes get higher and higher. But it doesn't feel like like the the there's always a human element to it the, the entire time, all the way through. So mm -hmm. I, I I I cannot recommend it enough. Um, cool. Here, you give me one. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll do my, my next two together. They're both graphic novels. Um, these are both graphic novels intended for adults. Uh, they're either in the young adult or adult category. But um, the first one is Nimona. Nimona it was actually released a while back. And much like many graphic novels, it was originally a web series. But Nimona is brilliant. It's the only graphic novel that or book, really, that I've ever read and finished and then immediately started reading it over again. Like... It's by uh, Noel Stevenson, and Noel Stevenson is uh, a, 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 an artist and a writer who has made some absolutely brilliant uh, all sorts of content. Most recently, Noel Stevenson um, is responsible for uh, like Lumberjanes, if you've never read Lumberjanes, um, or watched She-Ra. Noel Stevenson is at the head of that as well, and uh, they're... Their work on Nimona is absolutely brilliant. It's about a young shapeshifter who can shapeshift into all sorts of things um, and is brought into this new world to sort of um, be brought into the the system. Um, you know, this there's a it's it's one of those stories too where the villain, the main villain, the antagonist is actually the protagonist, and uh, it becomes more believable over time as well. But it's funny. I laughed a lot. Um, it's very touching. I cried. Um, I love the characters so much. Uh, and it is very much a, a sort of coming-of-age story. Um, and also, 
growth of emotional awareness and all the characters have growth throughout the series and um, there's tragedy and there's love and there's all sorts of things but I cannot suggest Nimona enough I love 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 Nimona um, you can probably find a lot of it still on the internet and uh, just the web series itself and that's that's essentially bonus content where the the book itself is a really great um, standalone story on its own so check it out check it out um, and I will share my next uh, graphic novel real quick too. Um, Check please. Check please is a. Um, it's a lot of things. It's it's. What I really love about Check Please is it is a, a hockey centered story um, in Northeast uh, United States at a college. Um, a, a a boy that actually grew up in Georgia. I believe if I want to remember that um, his character is from Madison, Georgia which is just a random place that the author chose for him to be from. But he is a hockey player from Madison, Georgia. He has a web blog that he uh, does a, a video blog and all sorts of stuff. And so he talks to the reader as if they're his audience because he's doing his vlogs. And he kind of tells his story of um, acceptance because he, uh, he is a character that is, uh, that is gay, openly gay. Um, and he also eventually comes out to his hockey friends and they are super cool with it as, as they should be. And... Um, it is a romance story of him falling in love with the, the star player, of course. And the star player in the second book, uh, goes into the NHL, which you get to follow as well. While, um, the main character in, in check, please, he is, uh, kind of growing as a, a hockey player. Um, he has a background as a figure skater, which I really love. And, um, eventually was accepted to this, the, the most like prof, um, the, the best hockey program in, in college hockey is the idea. Uh, but he's never been hit before is is one of the the biggest challenges in the story. So it is great. I uh, I love it. I suggest it to everybody, um, even if you don't like hockey or if you do like hockey or if you just like um, people because it's a great people story. Um, and I think it captures the like being on a sports team essence uh, very well. And it, it encapsulates that very well. But hit me with the rest so- of your books. Okay, one that I don't have on this list that I'm going to give you in response to Check, Please, because if you like Check, mm-hmm. Please, you like this. There's a web series that is now a graphic novel called Tripping Over You mm-hmm. that Peter and I read in, like, three days at the end of the school. It is about two boys in um, an English college, which is, like, uh, a university prep school, like what we would think of as, like, a private prep school. Um, at, at, they're in this, like, co-ed boarding school prepping for a university, um, and it's just their story of falling in love. Um, it's a beautiful gay romance, but it it has it does something that many gay romances don't, which is like the two guys fall in love, and it's just about them trying to make their love work. It's not about all the shitty things that can happen to gay people. Mm-hmm. Uh, too often in queer media, I think. Well, I don't think this because I'm a straight cis guy, but I have been told by people who I respect more than I than myself that uh, like you know there's there's a problem in uh, LGBT media where a lot of times like it's just tragedy. And this Mm -hmm. is a story where the stakes aren't like, is my dad going to be abusive? The stakes are like, can these two chuckleheads stay together? Um, (laughs) And so I I really, I really like it. I, I, it's, um, it's a really great love story and it's really great, like kind of high school romance story. Um, And it's all, it's also like uh, check please. It's all available online right now. And you can also buy it in uh, book format, but it's excellent. It's called tripping over you. Um, It's also like, very much like it's very English. So there's a lot of like, you have to sort of adjust to like the British like terms or whatever they're in college because in Britain after like basically your 10th grade year, you either go to what's basically like a vocational prep school or a university prep school called college. And then what we think of as university or college is they call university. Um, 
so it's it's very good. So I have three more. None of these are new for this year. Uh, <laughs> Harrow the Ninth. Oh no, Harrow the Ninth is is new this year. So Gideon the Ninth, Harrow the Ninth is my favorite lesbian necromancer love story. It's about two women uh, falling in love and trying to stay together past the bonds of death. It it is as good as it seems. It is far future, like uh, sort of like Chronicles of Riddick, uh, Warhammer 40, uh, 40k style science fiction. So good, gorgeous. I don't cry because I'm an emotionless like rubber man, <laughs> but like this this story made me cry multiple times. The end of the first book is just it's heartbreaking and it's perfect and you cry and it's like oh god, I thinking about it, I'm like kind of tearing up. Anyway, um <laughs> next is Sherlock Holmes. I read every Sherlock Holmes story this year. Um I, I <laughs> no, it, it's bad. I read every every story written by uh every Sherlock Holmes story written by um the original author, Doyle. whose name is Arthur Conan Doyle. And then I read all of Arthur Conan Doyle's um, sort of Cthulhu-style horror stories, which he actually kind of invented gothic modern horror. Uh, he, he was publishing Cthulhu-style stories before H.P. Lovecraft, and he's a lot less racist. I mean, he's still kind of racist, but he's a lot less racist than H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft. Um, so I read those. Now I'm reading. I'm currently reading The Whole Art of Detection, which is a like Sherlock Holmes pastiche. It's like Sherlock Holmes stories not written by Sherlock Holmes. Very good. Whole Art of Detection. Highly recommended. It's like Sherlock Holmes, but without all the racism. Um, especially in the first couple <laughs> of Sherlock Holmes stories. There's some questionable racial stuff. Um, and then I'm reading uh, Sherlock Holmes, Curious Adventures in Japan. It was written, written by a Japanese-American author about Sherlock Holmes going to uh, Meiji Restoration Era Japan. Excellent. Um, and then finally, I got to highly recommend the Rogue Squadron books. Um, they there's a Rogue Squadron movie coming out that's going to be inspired by the books. They're very, very, very good action stories about the Star Wars universe. They're set after Return of the Jedi. They're not canonical right now, but that's stupid. The canon is dumb, so just ignore <laughs> it. Uh, read the Rogue Squadron books. They're by, there's 10 of them. Michael A. Stackpole, uh, Rogue Squadron and Wraith Squadron, and they follow Wedge Antilles and his intrepid um, squadrons of X-Wing pilots. Highly recommended. But also, like, like the Sherlock Holmes stories are good. They're very good. They are, yeah. All right. If, let's if you do... don't want to dig all the way back into Sherlock Holmes stories, I'm in the middle of a, a, a series called, it's the Charlotte Holmes series. And she is, along with James Watson, they are both like the great, great, great grandchildren of those two. Um, is that, is know, that like a YA Holmes. book? It is. It's a YA yeah. mystery romance novel. And it's it's really fun. One more book I would highly recommend. There's a book series called Mycroft Holmes. They're about Sherlock Ooh. Holmes' brother. Now, this is going to blow your mind. Like genuinely, everybody says blow your mind and they don't mean it, but like this actually will. Mycroft Holmes was written by a sort of like veteran um, mystery author and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who it turns out like the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like the, the guy who played at UCLA and for the Lakers for a long time, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a like mystery book fanatic. He is an actual Sherlock Holmes scholar and he has written like <laughs> six um sherlock holmes pastiche novels that is a hundred percent true they are very good like, and he didn't ghostwrite him like he actually co-wrote like, one. six of these books yeah like and, and, and it is amazing they're they're really good dude they're really good so that's all of our books um we kind of have like tv and movies we can kind of lop these together i think right yeah 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, just because at this point, you know, I, I feel like I don't really watch TV that's not an hour long per episode. And so it's kind of like a mini movie um, uh, other than a few shows. But we'll we'll kind of talk about it. The very first thing that I, the very first movie slash TV that I really loved this year was Schitt's Creek. And I think a lot of people love Schitt's Creek. 
but very similar to, I think you were talking about, um, was it Cradle? Maybe it wasn't Cradle. It was some other book that you were speaking on um, about how it's not about the tragedy of uh, queer oh, media. tripping it was more over you. Yeah, Tripping yeah. over you, yeah. Like, Schitt's Creek just was. It just is. Like, there, the, the central challenges and the, the issues of the storyline did not fixate upon um, queer characters being queer. Um, it, it was their love for each other and like their the familiar ties and relationships and the way that the Shit's Creek series ends I think is so beautiful perfect and realistic I just think it's one of the best tv shows I've ever watched in my life um I I cried so many episodes I laughed every episode and I want to talk to everybody about it and I would be talking to everybody about it if uh it wasn't 2020 but because <laughs> it's just a little bit more yeah, difficult so good. to chance upon somebody it. yeah it, I would it's definitely the, watch it's it. the first embarrassment humor show that I like and really? I I hate the office like I can't stand the office I can't mm-hmm. I can't I've watched like 15 minutes of one episode of it I hate it um because mm-hmm. when embarrassing things happen to people I don't laugh I feel embarrassed so like mm-hmm. embarrassing humor makes me feel bad like I, I just people are always like oh you would love the office it's just like you and it's like no eh. I hate it it makes me like genuinely upset um, the, the, the thing about me. the office that that is I love the office I do um it, it hasn't grown with me though is the thing but the thing that I, I think that Shit's Creek does better than The Office is that it takes embarrassing humor, but it's not it's not done at the detriment of others. Yes, yeah. it's not mean. Like it, yeah. there are embarrassing situations because people are being stupid. But the point of Shit's Creek is not to make these characters feel bad, right? Like people earn their embarrassment in Shit's Creek. Like when someone does something that's embarrassing, it's because they're being an idiot. Mm-hmm. It's not just because like this weird dumb situation happened and like life is futile or whatever. Um, I, I highly recommend it. All right. We got to yes. go faster than this. Let's go. Let's keep going. Okay. I'll, I'll do another one. Uh, Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit is brilliant. And I think a lot of people are talking about Queen's Gambit and enjoying Queen's Gambit. We watched it all last week. Um, it is another story. That's just a, it, a sort of, it's got a feel good element to it, but it's not the entire, uh, the crux of the story by any means. It's, um, it is an incredible story, and I am a Harry Beltic fan through and through. And something I said on Twitter was that uh, Magic the Gathering tournaments has prepared me for the eccentrics we will see in this show. <laughs> and while we were watching it, Anna was like, why, why does that guy have a knife? Or why does that guy have flames on his car? Um, I'm like, well, if you had gone to any of the Grand Prix I've been to, Anna, you would understand <laughs> that that is just who they are. <laughs> and, and like the, the central theme of the show is that like, not central theme, but like the idea that all these dudes like could not enter into a, a functioning relationship if they tried. And that's why they're horrible misogynists. Mm-hmm. It just rung so true to me with magic, the other community, mm-hmm. um, which has gotten better, but still has a lot of horrible misogynists. Yeah. And the, the last show I'll say, and then we, I want to hear all your shows um, is a, a show we're watching currently is Bridgerton. And I have never been a Shonda Rhimes fan. Anna is a big Shonda Rhimes fan. And she's watched just about all the Shonda um, she can. And Bridgerton is I, I don't know. Like it has Shonda elements, but without the constraints of TV networks, I think because it's a Netflix and show. She, but it's I've heard it doesn't jump the shark, right? It does like, not jump the shark, not so far anyway. Uh, but we are only a few episodes in, and I don't think it will. Not the same way that um, the way TV has to on TV networks in order to keep your attention. It is just a good story, um, and it's it's basically Gossip Girl in eighteen thirteen, and and that is it. And I love all the characters. I love all the people. And I'm genuinely enjoying it. The sexual tension in this show is genuine and believable and not spoon-fed or ham-fisted by any means. And I think that it is brilliant. What about yeah, your you shows? Gotta love, a slow, love a slow burn. Love um, a slow burn. 
Oh, you know what? That reminds me. I got to add somebody to my music list. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay. So a lot of these obviously are not um, are not like new this year. So I have sort of like two categories of show. Shows that I really like and enjoy and I think are good shows. And shows that are also good but are just like pure like happiness fuel, serotonin fuel to me. Because I just find them relaxing. So I'm going to kind of divide them up like that. Um and and they they sort of cross over. I think a lot of shows in my serotonin fuel are also good, but I just watch them because they make me feel good. Um, first is Bob's Burgers. It's obvious. I mean, it's still running. It's been around for a long time. Bob's Burgers is just a really good episodic comedy, family comedy, and the fact that it's animated, I think, throws some people off. But it's it's just good. Like I, I, there aren't many bad episodes of the show. You can watch like ten at a time, or you can watch just one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just funny. I, I love it. Um, the other one, uh, and this is like a very Nathan thing, but like Letterkenny, I think is my favorite comedy show. I think it's <laughs> Letterkenny is the comedy that is the most like my sense of humor that I've ever seen. Like it makes me like cry laugh, like frequently makes me cry <laughs> laugh. And I, I don't know why it, it's just so fast talking, witty. It's like if, oh, who wrote the fucking West? Oh, it's like if Aaron Sorkin uh, wasn't stupid. It's like if Aaron Sorkin wrote a show about people who weren't like rich, straight white people and like had ever been anywhere, but like in the East coast, um, it's like if Aaron Sorkin wrote a comedy that was good, that's, that's what yeah. I, I, that's how I would describe it. So it's like, it's just about this tiny town in Canada and these dudes who live there and it's so fucking funny and it's just, ha- it has teeth. Like when, when the characters are mean to each other, they're really mean. But it's not like embarrassment mean. It's like they are just burning each other constantly. Oh, I love it. Um, <laughs> then my last sort of show that is done, it, it's already uh, finished, but it's the show I probably watched the most this year is Elementary. Um, Elementary Ooh, yeah. is uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, it's like Sherlock Holmes if Watson were a woman and it's set in modern day New York. Um, it is very, very good police procedural show. I mean, I'm not claiming it's like The Wire or The Sopranos or anything, but if you want a show that has an overarching story, but it's just like thing a week, like solve a mystery, it's really good. The guy who plays at Lucy Liu uh, is Joan Watson, who is the Watson character, and Sherlock Holmes um, is shoot, who? What's his name? It's yeah, John Lee Miller is really good. Um, uh, John Michael Hill as the sort of like detective character. It's just a great show, and I'm not I'm not saying that like elementary is like, it's not the Godfather, but it's just so fun to watch. It's so comfortable. There are some episodes of it that are like very, very good mystery episodes. And it has, and it talks a lot about addiction in a way that's not like shitty. Um, The sort of premise of the show is that like Sherlock Holmes is in um, New York because he has a heroin addiction and he like just came out of, um, he had to leave London kind of because of like the connections he had with it. And he just came out of rehab and it talks about addiction in a way that's not like stigmatizing and just like how, what it is to be clean, how you get sober, like what it means. There's a lot of him going to like AA meetings and dealing with relapses. And I, I don't know. I, I think it's a really good show. Um, and then I don't know. Do you have any movies you want to do? I only There's have like one movie. I want to talk about. Not a whole lot of movies. Yeah. Not a lot of movies that came out this year. Uh, the movie I watched the most this year was Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 Keira Knightley. It's a gorgeous love story. It's not canonical. Like, people who are, like, English majors, like, there's a lot of differences between the 2005 Pride and Prejudice and the book. But it's beautiful. Like, it's it's just, it's gorgeously shot. It's atmospheric. It's so well acted. Um, I think it gets the sort of, like, tone of the story correct. I, 
it's it's sort of like if Pride and Prejudice were written by an American romantic, which I'm super into. Like it's so <laughs> just like I I don't know. It's so it's like a tone poem. I I, I adore it. And I think the guy who plays Darcy <laughs> is amazing. All right, you want to talk about some music? Yeah, some music and um, all the music I'll talk about. It's just very quick. Uh, I'll I'll put this in the show notes. I'll put it on the Discord. Um, I have a each year I put together like a playlist, um, and and this year was to run to, and uh, because. Back in April, I was able to run again. I had my ACL surgery, and so I started running, and I've been running since again, and it's been really nice. But I have uh, my 2020 bops to run to will be uh, available to y'all if you'd like to enjoy them yourself. But uh, they're not always 2020 songs. Some of them are definitely, but it's really just as my mood changes throughout the year, I add songs that I want to listen to while I run. And two of those, one of them was the, the biggest addition this year to my bops to run to was Anything and Everything by Carly Rae Jepsen. I fell in love with Carly Rae Jepsen this year. (laughs) And part of that is because of Boy Problems, the tabletop RPG, uh, named for her song Boy Problems, which is a brilliant uh, pop song. Um, Boy Problems, Cut to the Feeling, and of course the one everyone knows, Call Me Maybe. But uh, Carly Rae Jepsen is a genius, and uh, I will fight someone who says otherwise essentially but um there's that one and the song i probably played the most this year is chateau lobby number four uh by father john misty and it's just it's a beautiful beautiful song it's a love song that feels real um and it's not a song to necessarily run to but it's on my run list because it's just something that makes me feel good and it's about it's it's essentially a story. It's a story it's told in song, which is something that Father John Misty does really well, I think. He is like, he goes all the way up to the line of like sad bastard music and then comes back and says, no, it's not about nihilism. It's more about, you know, living pragmatically and, and more realistic and finding the, the, the beautiful things in life and the details. And that's kind of how his music is. And um, I really hope to see him in a live scenario one day uh because father john misty's music is brilliant and i want to go cry uh, around 200 other people <laughs> what about you tell me about some music um okay going quickly maggie rogers she didn't have anything out come out in 2020 but she's just a songwriter mm-hmm, who i really mm-hmm. love who who i listen a lot to um both of the taylor swift albums um my hot my taylor swift hot take is that if she wasn't a woman that people would think she was a really good songwriter um uh, cause she is because, uh, tis the damn season. I mean, on evermore, mm-hmm. every track on evermore is good, but it's just, very good just too. like most, I don't want to yell about this, but most songwriters don't write a single album as good as either album that she released this year. Like they don't anyway. Um, I really got into churches this year. I love churches. Very good. Chick rock. Well, it's, it's like chick synth, but I love it. Um, let's see. Uh, listen to WAP a lot. I think that song yeah. is like a feminist anthem. I, it slaps. Um, I listened to a lot of Dave Brubeck, good piano jazz. Uh, Run the Jewels 4 came out, RTJ4 by Run the Jewels. I think Run the yeah. Jewels is like my favorite current rap album, uh, rap group right now. Very good. Um, I listened to a lot of Casey Musgraves, Slow Burn. It's a great song. Um, she didn't have anything that came out in 2020. Just She's just great. She's just, um, yeah. A very good country artist. Uh, and then finally, in the sort of like uh, jazz funk uh, thing, I listened to Wolfpack. Their new album, the 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 Joy Music, the Job of Real Estate, yes, super good, um, just just really good jazzy funk. I mean, they are just uh, they are like 
in many ways like a musician's band and i hate saying that because it sounds so conceited but like <laughs> every musician i know who plays anything related to jazz like any kind of wind instrument or guitar freaking loves wolfpack because it's just like five of the better like players in the world right now playing together in a band mm-hmm. um the fearless flyers which is like a wolfpack spinoff group which has the guys from wolfpack but also with nate smith who is like i mean nate smith is like one of if not the best jazz drummer living right now um uh, highly, highly recommended. If you want a Wolfpack intro, just watch. Uh, they played Madison Square Garden. They made a concert film out of it. It is just like an hour of pure joy um, and just like dudes who know how to play the shit out of their instruments, mm-hmm. um, which is something I respect. Uh, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And you anything else? This, this is that. I mean, that's about it, really. I mean, there, it's not an exhaustive list by any means. There's so many things that we still enjoyed this I year. Guess I guess we'll, we, we could put both of these lists on uh on the show notes or something right so yeah can... i've got a graphic i'm putting together that i'll i'll make sure is accessible to folks if you want to see it i'll also put the link to uh, my running playlist if anybody wants to check it out it's not you know exclusively a running playlist but it's oh, just what oh, i use i it also for. have a i also have a giant running playlist that i can i can send you a link to okay um it is i i've been working on it for like three years it has a lot of 2020 stuff on it um there's a lot of cardi b be ready for that um uh yeah so and and we, we can put some links on there too i love it but yeah, thanks all for, for listening through 2020. Uh, we enjoyed you as well. Um, you know, we would put Chapel Bell Curve and Battle Hymnal at the top of our, our media to to bring us joy, honestly. But it's our own. So uh, put us on your own list. That would be pretty neat. We'd appreciate it. <laughs> this has been a really bad year um, in many ways. But I, I think one thing that we are always very thankful of, and we've said this many times, but... This is this has been probably the best year for Chapel Bell Curve ever, mm-hmm. um, and you know maybe not in a like raw downloads way, but just in general, just in how how the year has gone for us and how much support we've gotten and how good you guys have been to us as just like uh, a community, and so we're just so thankful to you, just for I don't know for putting up with us for tuning in for being <laughs> part of like the this group of people that you know has been sort of. Uh, a surrogate friend group, a surrogate family. And so um, if you're out there and you're listening and we have brought you any kind of happiness this year, we're very happy. But I, you know, I think that for me, you guys have probably given me just as much happiness as I've given you. So yeah. thank you so much for everything. Um, this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you mm-hmm. like what you heard here today, you can hit us up on Twitter at Chapel Bell Curve. I'm at Nathan J. Lawrence and Justin is at the Justin Bray. Mm-hmm. You, if you really like what you heard uh, here, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Chapel Bell Curve. We have some exciting new things coming to the Patreon. We're going to do some restructuring of the tiers and stuff. Um, so we, we think that uh, it's worth a couple of a couple of bucks. And we, we are always trying to find a good cause to throw some of that money to you each season. So uh, check us out. Um, we will catch you in Parts Unknown, I guess, and in the Classic City and Parts Unknown going forward. Uh, we hope to see some new faces on the Discord in the next couple of days. Come play some Apex Legends with us. We'd love to have you. Yeah. Uh, and until then, go dogs. Go dogs.